for all things land development, planning and property. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. We've actually got a special guest on today's episode and that is Darren Brewer. And we'll be talking all about HMOs or houses in multiple occupancy. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't have an HMO or I'm not a tenant in an HMO. So what relevance is it to me? Well, I think it is a crucial interview because if it can happen to HMOs whereby individual tenants and landlords are being banded for individual rooms, it can happen to other sectors of property. And it is key that as anyone that either lives in a property or rents a property or has a property business or whatever it might be, it is crucial that when these changes happen and they impact both tenants and landlords, as we all discover, I think it is key that we stand up to them. And all hats off to this group of people who have got together over the last few months and actually made a difference. So we'll be interviewing Darren in a second. And one of the other things that we're going to touch on during the interview is the high street. And this does affect an awful lot of us who are looking to perhaps convert buildings. We are looking perhaps to build in the high street and to transform the high street, you know, taking some of those empty shops and making them into accommodation once more. And so we'll be touching on that during this special episode of Property on Fire. Please do like, review and subscribe to this podcast and come with me on this property journey. Thank you, Darren, for joining me today on this episode of Property on Fire. Can you tell me what the problem's actually been? Because it's to do with HMOs, but what has been the issue for owners of HMOs? Yeah, hi, Ian. Thanks for having me on. So 18 months ago, two years ago, we started noticing that our our properties, and I own a company called ProPods based in Portsmouth, Hampshire, were starting to get rebanded individually per bedroom for council tax. And when this first started happening, I was convinced that the valuation office agency who does that rebanding got it wrong. And so was our local authority. But actually, when we pushed back via the local authority, they came back and said, actually, we haven't got it wrong. Because Mr. Brewer has structurally altered the building and these tenants have an individual tenancy agreement per bedroom, we have the right to band each bedroom as a band A, which in layman's terms basically means with a bit of discount for a single person, the tenant's going to have to pay another £1,000 a year on top of their rent to the local authority. And I then started wondering, am I the only one this is happening to? And very quickly, we started finding more people up and down the country. Not at the rate we're seeing as of today, but we started to find people up and down the country. And then it was when it was decided that we would set up a Facebook lobbying group, uh, which today currently has nearly 1,500 people made up of tenants and landlords. And I think that is the key to all of this so that's where all this started and that's where the original lobbying started from sure so as you say there it's not just the landlords that have been affected it's obviously the tenants as well so they're obviously finding increased bills i guess yeah you know as soon as these properties are rebanded individually the liability falls on the tenant but it's a tax that affects tenants and landlords because whilst the tenants in situ in the property in the bedroom 
they're liable for the council tax. But obviously, once they move out the property and you have maybe what I call a minimal void of maybe five to seven days before someone else moves into that room, the landlord then has a bill. So you could have six bedrooms and five of them could be paying £100 each per bedroom. And yet the landlord's still getting a bill for the empty room, even though the rest of the house is paying. And yet you could have a whole house of six bedrooms paying £7,200 a year when before that property was rebanded, I was the landlord who was happy to pay the council tax at £1,500 a year. You know, you're going to have tenants leaving. We're seeing that already. Councils chasing tenants for council tax that they didn't know they owed. I have spoken to many an authority, a local authority, who would rather see HMOs go back to one individual band. Stupid question time. Why does the local authority in that case, why did they alter it? If, if they're not keen on it, why did they alter it to a bedroom? So we all remember the poll tax. Well, I say we all remember. Ian, I think you're <laughs> the age where you remember it. Just um, about, yes. I'm just just, um, just 21 or thereabouts. Yeah, well, uh, me at 44, I remember seeing those uh, pictures on TV uh, when the poll tax was created and we had many a million a rioter in the streets of London and around the country. And obviously that got quashed very quickly and we were rushed into as a country to create the Local Government Finance Act 1992, which basically was the council tax. The problem you have in there is that the area of law on HMOs is grey. We've had many a case law in the last 30 years in the high courts of what a judge says is a dwelling or what's not a dwelling. And what we see is, is that once there is a material change to a property, i.e. a planning application, technically the local authority has to inform the VOA in regards to they need to revise the band. So even though the local authority technically have to advise the VOA, it's the VOA who are individually rebanding these property or bedrooms. But when you talk to the government, or you talk to this day, we talk to the VOA, and I have done as one of the co-founders of the lobbying group, all I get back from this is, Darren, look, we hear what you're saying, but unfortunately, we're just adhering to a policy that was created by the government. And the government says, well, you need to speak to the VOA because they're an independent body. And... For the last 18 months until, and um, we'll come on to this, until last week, uh, we were being back pillar to post. You know, we were being... Passing the buck. Passing the buck is probably the right way and closely <laughs> shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's most annoying. I mean, obviously, you know, being more on the planning side of it as I am, I know what it's like when we have, you know, stuff like service accommodation. They can't even decide what even user class it is or anything else. So, you know, AEHMOs are another problem. But, but Ian, you and I know that a HMO is clearly defined in planning as either a C4 for up to six people or a sui generis obviously for seven or more. That is not difficult in planning law. That's also the same in building regs that is classified as one dwelling. In the benefit system, it's classified as one dwelling. And in licensing, it's, it's classified as one dwelling. And our argument's always been with government then why is the council tax not adhering to the same policy as what the rest of us have to when we want to create a HMO? And up until last week, and I'll say we'll come on to that, we were really, you know, the, the door was shut and no one wanted to listen to us. Obviously, one way you had was to target your local MPs. How did they react to their sort of constituents? So how how was the local MPs' reaction? I'm very fortunate that I have two very good local MPs uh, here. Uh, and obviously, our properties are based in both their areas. 
uh, and I live in in their area as well. So we had Penny Mordaunt, who a lot of people will know as was a front runner to become the PM, and is also I think her title now is, is leader of the House of Commons. And we also had Caroline Dynage, who is a great MP for Gosport and is a backbencher. And originally, this was just like, well, that can't be right, Darren. You know, we need to speak to the government. We need to speak to the department. But again. Uh, it was falling on deaf ears. And it was only recently that Caroline Dynage put forward an amendment, uh, an NC7 amendment, as it was called, in the levelling up bill to actually stop this from happening. And last week, we were very fortunate that the department known as Duluk, uh, Michael Gove being the Secretary of State, uh, with Dina Davison as one of the ministers, has agreed in Parliament, and I have a letter now addressed to myself and the group, that we are going to have a public consultation exactly on this matter, and it's going to be starting in July. And hopefully, with the outcome of that, HMOs will be singly rebanded, unless there's exceptional circumstances, not quite sure what that bit is yet, um, that it will be ready for the Royal Assent in May. So that process is not going to take a longer time then? We expect you expect that just to be a month or so. I've been told that the consultation is going to be six weeks, uh, and I've been told that that leaves enough time that should regulations be have to be changed, which we believe they will. That is enough time before the the uh, royal assent because they want to run it alongside the uh, leveling up bill. What would happen if a landlord is listening to this episode? and thinks, well, I've been paying for the last couple of years or whatever, single-banded, or tenants listening, thinking, well, hang on a sec, I've paid out, I can't afford it. With all the gas, electricity bills I'm having to pay, cost of living, what is their situation? Are they likely to get anything back, or would it just be... To be uh, honest with you, I think that's in the detail. It's probably way above my pay grade to decide what that is. If we really had to get down into that depth of what that problem is that, that you mentioned, I think the good news is, is that we are on the home straight that this is going to be changed. But I'm not sure, don't get me wrong, we all want to get a refund on something that maybe we shouldn't have paid. But at the end of the day, if the property that has been individually rebanded gets rebanded back to one, uh, from a set date, I'm not sure that the government will allow for people to get refunds. However, moving forward, those people won't have to pay that money again, because it will be a single ban, and it will go down to the liability of the landlord. I think we have to look here that there is no perfect win-win. But for me personally, and I know most of the people in the group probably agree with this, that the quicker we stop it, the quicker people stop paying something that is not right and do you know what? It's not morally right. I don't care what anyone says. Technically, it's not right, but morally, it's not right. That's something that I've really played on in this cost of living crisis that we are experiencing, that morally, this isn't right. You know, how can a tenant who potentially rents a room for, say, 450 up north, paying £1,000 a year, £80 a month, having to pay 18% more than their rent for council tax, and then you could have a property down south that's £700 a month paying the same council tax, but yet that person's still paying 12% more than what their rent is. So it can't be right. Um, it morally isn't right. And I'm pleased that finally, with the help of our MPs, we've managed to get the government to listen to what's going on. And do you know what? For once, it's really nice that tenants and landlords are working together. It has to be a first, Ian. I'm sure it is. I mean, as you know full well, you know, we, we all read the various groups and, and go to networking events and it's very much landlords on one side of the fence and 
and tenants on the other side of the fence and uh, you know one's in business and one's a client if you like and but it is good that the fact that we can actually come together and actually solve a problem that affects both parties you both know. parties and it's and it, and it also affects all spectrums of HMOs, whether you're on universal credits and you're living in a room or you're a prof- working professional living in a shared house. At the end of the day, it affects a lot of people. And we believe that this affects up to this could affect up to 3 million sharers in England and Wales. That's an awful lot of people. That's an awful lot of people. That's a lot of people. And when someone said to me, how have you come to that figure? Well, on the government website, it clearly states there's 497,000 HMOs in England and Wales. Now, if you work on an average of six people per HMO, I'm no Carol Vorderman, but I know that that's nearly three million people. That's what this group has done. I think this lobby, you know, the, the HMO and council tax lobbying group, that's what we've done. We've come together. We've got tenants as well as landlords as part of the group. And we've been a voice for people. And I think what was lovely when it got announced last week is that not only did I have landlords ringing me, thanking myself and what the group had done to get it to this stage, I also had tenants ringing me, you know, because... We're not bad landlords. Government would like to make make out that we are bad, and there are some bad landlords. But let's be honest, 95% of us are good landlords. And whilst a lot of people are doing this as a business or for their pensions or whatever, they also have a duty of care, and their duty of care is to their tenants, and most tenants get on very well with their landlord. Totally. You mentioned a moment ago about different people in an HMO, but... You know, I know my son's in an HMO and, you know, quite often these are affecting people who just do not have the money available. It can affect those people who are who are struggling. And if this has achieved just that, then I think it's a good thing. But as you say, it's, it's just the administration. I mean, at the end of the day, the taxpayer is having to pay for that administration in the local authority, all that extra paperwork. And it gets worse than that, Ian, because we believe that these bedrooms, once they get classified as dwellings for council tax, those bedrooms are being added to the UK housing numbers. I don't think that's right. And that's definitely cannot be right that, that, you know, it's potentially falsifying the numbers of dwellings that are being created. Because, you know, when you take a house that's got six rooms, it's gone from one dwelling to six dwellings, it's actually got a net of plus five. But then what's happening is the local authorities are applying for something called New Homes Council Tax Bonus Scheme that the centralised government send them as an incentive for creating dwellings within that area. Well, again, that is taxpayers' money being spent on the wrong incentive. So we think there's a bigger picture here. We're not too fussed about that secondary picture. At the end of the day, whilst I don't think it's technically, and I come back to it, morally right that bedrooms are being added to the UK housing numbers, what is important for me is that as tenants and landlords, this is taxed fairly because this is not a person tax per person in the property. It should be a property tax, which is what the council tax is all about. And we want these properties to go back to a single banding and to never have this conversation again because it shouldn't have come up in the first place. Um And I really hope once we resolve this issue, this group can stay together and actually become a HMO group that actually tackles other issues that the government policy doesn't adhere to or or doesn't notice or, or doesn't actually take on board what a HMO is because you have to look at the Renters Reform Bill. It's not one mention of a HMO. I mean, you know, going back to the planning side again, it's quite common is the fact that I have people coming to me 
who are looking to do extensions and stuff like this. As far as I'm concerned, legislation is quite clear that a C4 HMO is a dwelling. It is a single dwelling, as you said earlier on. It is a dwelling, yet, funnily enough, the quite a few local authorities will turn around and say, sorry, it isn't a dwelling. You do not have PD rights. Well, there is enough case law out there to say, sorry, local authority, you are wrong. And you can have an extension. I mean, sui generis, a little bit of a grey area, if I'm honest. But even there, there's there's case law to back it up. But yeah, it's, it's this whole way that the local or sorry, the government actually looks at an HMO and the local authorities do as well. Completely. And and, I, and we all know no one likes that word HMO. No, it should be changed to shared living property. That's what it should be. It's a far better name. It's a bit like I said the other day, I don't like the word landlord. I want to be called a private rental provider, right? You've got the PRS and I want to be a PRP. I want to be a private rental provider. Because do you know what? It's about time in 2022, we actually, as a country, start realising that actually tenants may have to rent you know some people want to rent because as young professionals living in shared houses they want to be able to have the freedom of moving from one city to another and moving on in their jobs or actually maybe traveling or or whatever but we're not back in 1980s where you must buy a house i get it that people want to own a property but the young generation who are renting in bedrooms in, in, in shared living want to have the freedom. They want to have the flexibility. And actually, what we are seeing is, especially in Portsmouth, because our brand in Portsmouth, we call our tenants Propodians under the ProPod brand. 80% of our Propodians travel 80 miles or more to take a job in Portsmouth. Now, what we are doing is we are housing young professionals and we are freeing up one and two bed housing stock. That is key. And I don't quite think the government realises an important part that shared living actually has to the housing crisis. Yeah, I totally. And and the fact they're naming these or numbering them as for dwellings. I mean, being a developer as well as I am, we build these bungalows and houses goodness knows what else but if they're trying to get around this by claiming you've got six new dwellings or something and and that can fluctuate as well because of course it doesn't they don't have to have six that could you know a landlord could suddenly decide well i just want three i'm just going to just double the bedrooms or whatever you know it's it's a it's a residence so I think I think also the key here, and I think something the government has has pricked its ears up to, courtesy of our local MPs, is our brand is all about revitalising high streets. We take an old commercial building that may have had a, a national retailer in there before COVID, and now obviously they've left and the property stayed empty. We're buying those empty buildings and reutilising them for small to make them smaller unit retail units for independent traders, and then converting the uppers and the rears to shared living. So actually what we're doing is we're actually creating a double bubble. We're rejuvenating high streets because let's look at it. The infrastructure in a high street is perfect. Most high streets either have a train or a bus stop or a station. You know, they have good local necessities around them, supermarket, doctors, hospital nearby, dentist. So what we're actually doing is we're bringing people into a high street who will actually use that high street for their essential day-to-day use. Which is what a high street used to be. Go back 100 years, 150 years, a high street was a place for living. It wasn't a place for the shops and all that. Yes, there were some, obviously, but they were community. You know, something we're looking at locally in Gosport, and we're looking at this with the council, is that 
they've got nearly uh, 1,100 parking spaces around the town centre. But come five o'clock, they're empty. And we're saying to them, well, why don't you offer residence parking? Why don't you do half the car park for residence parking and the other half for shoppers? Because the more people that live in a high street, the more people that will use the high street. I'm a big advocate of the high street. I think it has an important role to play within our communities. And... You know, I'm one of these people that, you know, I think it's great that you utilize a building that may have been there for 100 years and you're changing the use of it and getting another 100 years out of that use. I think that's a phenomenal thing. And also it's great for our carbon footprint because we're not knocking down buildings and, re- and rebuilding and re- reusing buildings that have already used their carbon footprint. Totally. And the government's given that for, you know, Class MA, Class G above a uh a shop or two above use class E. Now, the one problem that we have, and you touched on that so well in that little bit, was about the car parks because, you know, quite often the local authority will still say, well, we want two parking spaces for the flat or one or whatever it is, and there isn't any space. And then, of course, the local authority isn't set up to assist in that role of parking. And then people say, well, where can I park? Where does... You know, and it's it is a problem, and I think local authorities have to rethink. Now, that's not that hasn't really been helped for HMOs with Class MA because, of course, Class MA prevents HMOs, which doesn't help. Thankfully, Class G is still around, and for anyone listening wondering as what Class G is, that's two flats above use Class E, but that allows for HMOs, but. Uh, MA doesn't. It is a problem, but I'm not sure whether that will ever alter. I don't know. We'll have to see. I would rather see the alterations come of how local authorities are incentivized by nationalized government to reutilize their car parks within their high streets. You know, electric scooters. How many how many months have we been trialing electric scooters up and down the country? And we still do not have a decision on whether electric scooters will become law or not. I think that is key in high streets yet again. It's something that we've been looking at for our Propodians because we'd like to give our Propodians all an electric Propod scooter to be able to get around their city or town. And I just think we're behind the times. We've got to push forward And there's no better time than that. And I think we've all seen how very quickly how COVID closed this country down and how quickly things can change. And I think we need to change things for the better, because if we don't, we are really going to get stuck behind the times of other countries in Europe. Thank you very much, Darren, for joining us on this episode of Property on Fire. So I'm going to put some links into the show notes uh, for today. But if somebody wants to get involved, if, if they want to join your, your Facebook group or anything else, how can they actually find out a little bit more about you and, and the group? So you can find us on HMO's Council Tax Reform Group on Facebook. Um, you can obviously find myself. People note that Darren is spelt slightly different. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Please get in contact. I'd love to come back on, Ian, once we know the consultation is live and what the questions look like on the consultation. I'm going to be really over ambitious. I'm going to try and get a 10,000 response on the consultation because what I want the government to see is not only is this a problem, I want the government to see that shared living with tenants and landlords is a, has a big part to play within this housing crisis. And I think for once, we finally got the ear of the department. And I think it'll be a shame to let that go once this, hopefully this problem is resolved. Because I do honestly believe this will be a huge monumental change in 30 years of a policy that is going to have some change in it. (laughs) 
really appreciate Darren for joining me today on this episode and I hope you found that thoroughly interesting. I know it's something that I personally will keep track of and I'm sure now many more of you will do as well. So I will be putting, as I promised, I'll be putting into the show notes the link to the Facebook group uh, that Darren and some of the others run. I'll also put a link to their campaign website as well as a short link to Darren's own ProPods business that he has down on the South Coast. So I really hope that you've enjoyed today. Darren will come back on the show once we have a little bit more information after the consultation or during the consultation period because that is when you can all make a difference. You can have your own voice heard as part of that consultation and I'm sure this will go forward into legislation before too long and yeah I think it is going to make a big difference to an awful lot of people so thank you once again to Darren for his time today if I can help you in your property journey well we're now in December and so not an awful lot this year to go but if I can help you now throughout 2023 then please do get in touch keep those questions coming i didn't have time today to look at some questions that have been sent in i will deal with those in the next episode keep safe and we'll chat again next tuesday have a wonderful week property on fire with ian walmsley please use your podcast app to rate review and subscribe to the show and if you'd like a question answered on a future episode email ian at propertyonfire.co.uk